0: Diamond, do I have you? Yes, you do. Do What's I sound okay, on, man? Yeah. How do I sound? Sound good. I'm. Uh, I'm gonna send out one tweet. Perfect. And uh, I gotta start off today by saying to you, sir, that. So I listened to your Ethan Sherwood Strauss House of Strauss appearance, uh, a couple weeks back. I remember exactly where I was. I was in the gym, getting my lift on, and. Uh, I heard you make a, a strong pitch, a plea, if you will, maybe not a plea, but, um, but a, a, a strong endorsement for listening to podcasts on just trying like one and a quarter speed. Right.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: Cause I was a, I was a staunch a, advocate and, and held my ground on, you know, one, I don't want to listen to people talking super fast freaks me out. It sounds weird. <laughs> but you said, just dip a toe in the water and then see how it is. So first I went to a quarter or one and a quarter. I, I, I've been at one and a half now, I will admit, for, well, I guess that appearance was like July, something like that.
1: Yep, yep. I've
0: been, doing, I've been doing it for a while, but today I tried to get up to two and I just couldn't do it. It was sounded <laughs> fucking bonkers. But I'm at one and a
1: half, all thanks to you, man. I, that's a, listen. That's that's like a fifty percent improvement. And by the way, I think this is the thing that people and I. I I'm curious if you feel this way now. Now the one point five is what probably sounds normal to you.
0: Yes, it, it, it sounded so normal that I was ready to make the jump to two. To which I'm curious,
1: <laughs> why is there not one point?
0: Why isn't there not one point seven five? Why is there not one and three quarters? Why does it go all the way
1: from one five to two? Uh, Yeah, it's a good, it's actually a good point. I I do think for a lot of people, 1.5, I I really think everybody, so everybody listening right now, I think is a podcast listener, no matter how much you resist it, try the 1.5 for a week, one week, it might be uncomfortable, and then go back to one, when things start sounding extra slow to you at one, you know, you are a 1.5% now, like that's just the way that's kind of how it started for me.
0: I wear that badge proudly. Um,
1: because of all of this tech knowledge,
0: um, it's a good, easy segue. Um, I don't even know how to properly describe who you, who you are and, and, and what your credentials are. Um, can you do me that favor and give the stump speech, the quick the quick bio on uh, why I sought you? I mean, you don't, know, you don't know why, but you know why. Why I sought you out today for this, this hallowed round of, of Lakers talk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, I think uh, for for most of the people listening, uh, you know, they'll 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 just need to know uh, my Laker fan credentials. I've been a Laker fan lifer, but uh, professionally, I work with um, Ben Thompson at Strategery. I'm sort of his, the behind the scenes person. I don't work on the content side; that's all Ben, obviously. But um, in terms of helping out with the business and just kind of behind the scenes support role. Um, I'm sort of the guy behind the scenes. So, uh, and, and that's, that's kind of, um, and, and interestingly enough, uh, I, I met Ben through NBA Twitter. Uh, I, I was a subscriber to Techry for a long time before I ever spoke to Ben about anything related to that. Uh, Ben is also a super big NBA fan. He's a Milwaukee Bucks fan. He's originally from uh, Wisconsin. And, uh, we just talked basketball for a long time before I even made the connection. So, uh, that's sort of my big picture background, and you and I met uh,
0: through the NBA as well, very briefly. And I was definitely a little drunk uh, in Las Vegas this summer,
1: but uh, app- appropriately so.
0: There you go. Basketball bringing people together, and absolutely. it also it brings it brings together angry fan bases. And <laughs> uh, I don't know before. So we got some calls in the queue already. Appreciate that. We will absolutely get to you. Um, if you want to call in, please download the app. And when you do that, you can talk to us, you can follow and subscribe to the show and get push notifications when we're going live, all that good jazz. Um, Stoke we got a big crowd in here, so thank you guys for for, for tuning in and joining us. Um, I definitely, I made a dozen or so calls between yesterday and this morning to, to get ready for today's show. I, wanted to, I really had kind of been... Staying away from the Lakers talk because you can only talk so much Lakers, but you can always talk Lakers. And today's the day. Um, So I've got I mean, I'm sure some of my it's funny now, Diamond. that you can't talk. You can't bring reporting on these subjects and have anything remotely similar to what's been out there lately without someone accusing you of having the same information. But sometimes that's what it is. (laughs) Um, but I have done my best to get like as full accounting as I can on where things stand, where they could go, little side tidbits here and there, but, um, and I'll just kind of run some stuff kind of by you kind of like we're in therapy, except like a reverse role where the therapist is going to ask the patient, like, how does that make you feel? (laughs) Um, so that's kind of my goal, but before I do that, what, I mean, you don't I, I'm not going to say you, you can speak for the entire fan base, but I don't know. After the high of 2020 and winning that title and to where things are now, I mean, the last nine months have kind of been clouded by this dark shadow of, of what will happen with Russell Westbrook's future. Um, wh- wh- where where, does, where do things stand? What's the temperature? How are you doing?
1: Um, well, I, I will say I think that last year specifically, just in terms of from the start of the season on, was the single worst experience as a fan I've had any in any season? It's not that it was the worst Laker team. We've certainly have worse Laker teams in recent, you know, in, in, before LeBron got here. For example, there was a pretty bad stretch. But you came into those seasons with having no expectations and understanding that okay, this is a rebuild. You know, this team's you know this team's not in it to in it for the standings basically, but. Last year was such a disaster, both on and off court in terms of from the fan experience that, like, I didn't even want to talk about the team. Um, I, I'm sure, you know, it, it's you, you get that a lot in terms of the information and all the, the this whole offseason from an information point of view. But from a fan point of view, there was just from the get go, there was the Russ fan base, the LeBron fan base, the Lakers fan base, all sort of at odds from the jump because that season was so toxic. That um, you look at from the title team, the next year they were still a contender, but it was just a short off season, and they ran into health issues. And you can kind of – it was understandable that the season kind of fell apart. Um, but the way they overhauled not only the roster, but the entire identity of the team, uh, I, I think was just such a mistake. And the Lakers, I think I, – I mean – I think the moves that they've made this offseason, and we can get into that, I think speak to their acknowledgement that yes, you know, last year was just a big mistake, but I think that they also are doing a lot of calculations in terms of how painful and how much of a cost will they bear to correct those mistakes. And I think that the lack of movement or the, you know, the lack of movement or the lack of big moves, I think speak to the fact that I don't think that they are convinced that it's worth, you know, uh, just to get back to square one, it's worth uh, a big cost. So that's kind of where I stand right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, the analogy that comes to mind to me to kind of explain how I've heard the Lakers are approaching all this stuff is, you know, in Monopoly, at the end of the game, when you kind of are trying to evaluate a turn ahead and okay, am I going to have enough? Like, do I spend this money now Am I gonna have enough to make it around the bend of the yellows and the greens and the blues before I get back to go and get my, you know, four hundred and then yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm kind yeah. of out of the I'm kind of out of the woods in terms of the, the big money areas. Like the Lakers, I, the Lakers are I mean they, they are operating with a north star. It's obvious that that most teams don't being that a they've got one of the greatest players of all time and b he's 36, 37 years old. And who knows how the hell much longer he's got left at a legitimate all-star MVP type level. We don't even know necessarily, you know, if he's going to have that this year. Like we just don't. And I mean, that's not, that's not to say that I think he's not because come on, he's still LeBron James at this point. It's absurd that he is, but he is man. And while, while that's there, like it is going to fall off at some point. And all the talk of Bronny coming into the league and, him want to play with him. I mean, it's very, very real. I mean, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated talking about it. Yeah. So there's a limited window here to capitalize on all this while also recognizing that there will be a life after LeBron and it could come pretty soon. And not even just that, but like, there's not just this season, but there's next season too. And the 20, I mean, as, as silly as it is to say, like, the 23 24 Lakers arguably have a greater chance at this present moment in the M- in the NBA timeline to compete for a title than the 2022-23 Lakers do because of the fact that Westbrook Steel is expiring if he's not moved or regard we'll get into this more later, but one thing I definitely heard consistently across the board is that the Lakers don't want to sacrifice any long-term salary options. They they want to keep future flexibility. They're very averse to taking on salary beyond this year knowing that they're going to have – I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I, I believe it's roughly 30 million at least right now that they're going to be able to play with. Um, and, and you bet your ass that Kyrie is going to be at the top of that list of targets that they're going to want and try and think they've got a shot at landing. So you want to keep that on the board, but you also still don't can't punt this season and still want to try to win this season because you got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And you talk to anyone up up and down – uh, that franchise, and even people outside of the Lakers' walls, they'll say, well, shit, those guys make the playoffs together and they're healthy. We haven't seen them lose yet, right? So um, it is one of – as much as the Lakers get so much attention because there are the Lakers, they really are in one of the more interesting kind of like not, – not a crossroad because they really – they've got they're – on, they're on a trajectory. They have little twists and turns they can take along the way. But in terms of teams that have work to be done – like I'm I'm very fond I think I've said this many times on the show I'm very fond of uh Daryl Morey's thinking that you know your roster isn't set in the preseason let alone at after the trade deadline or still buy out stuff to play or whatever like if if team building is a season long construct the Lakers right now heading into training camp are at one of the more interesting spots of any team because they're trying to get better for this year while also like, really looking ahead to next year, too. It's very it's very interesting.
1: So, I, 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 here's my question, because I do agree with Daryl on that point. I do think that, you know, teams can make a mistake trying to figure everything out in the offseason before the teams are, you know, uh, the, the teams have a chance to play together. But my impression, and maybe you can correct me here. My impression has always been that with a contract as big as Russell Westbrook's at the amount at forty-seven million, that an in-season trade becomes almost impossible because a salary that big moved mid-season seems pretty unprecedented, especially when there's not a clear matching contract with other players in the league. I feel like Russ is one of the last contracts that are kind of like this, that are uh, in this situation. Um, is that does that track, or do you do you still see opportunities perhaps down the road if if this doesn't work and they are giving it their best shot? It seems like you know and trying to come into camp with harmony and and Darvin Ham ever since he got hired has been consistent on his messaging about Russ. Um, do you think that if it doesn't work, for example, that there could be palatable options, or will this be just like a John Wall situation where it doesn't work and they're like, okay, Russ? We tried, sorry, but, uh, you know, we're going to ask you to stay away for now. So I've pretty routinely been told that that's the
0: John Wall scenario. I I think Mark Stein reported this as well. I I don't think that's going to happen. And I remember even way back around the trade deadline, uh, just talking about it theoretically with people and then bringing it to Lakers people. Like, I got literally laughed at – someone laughed in my face with the Lakers when I asked them about – their likelihood of waving and stretching him sometime this summer, like they for whatever reason, and the reason is pretty i mean I, they're, they're they're talking about Russell Westbrook still as Russell Westbrook not I mean no one obviously thinks he's a perennial all star MVP type player anymore, but they still have at least viewed him in trade talk and conversations I've had as like a value player, not not a net negative, someone who can. Who? Someone who is capable in the right role, and that's I, th- I think a pretty key key distinction of contributing to a winning, competing basketball team right now. So they're definitely trying to operate as that moving forward. Because yeah, we can get into this portion of, of the uh, the conversation too. Like the teams that are out there that that make matching sense in terms of teams that would take on a, a big expiring deal for picks um, or just teams like Indiana, for example, that, I mean, the Pacers aren't in the full teardown mode, like uh, San Antonio and Utah are, right. But they're still, I mean, they're still in somewhat of a, I mean, very much a rebuild situation, but I, I would think of them as, I mean, they're not in this OKC Utah class of full teardown, massive pick hordes. Right. Um, they still got Miles Turner. There's still a little more of a direct path towards at least sniffing the playoffs again, I think with Indy right now. But I mean, I, I, I want to get into the specifics, but I just want to tip back to you before we do that um, to take really answer your question. Like, yeah, I've heard multiple people mention things about how they really want Russ to lock in defensively and focus on not gambling and being that defensive stopper on the perimeter that they really need. And there's been all this talk about him playing some type of Draymond role, some type of Bruce Brown in Brooklyn role, so he can really maybe doesn't have to be on ball bringing it up, running pick and roll, but he can be an engine of the offense in, in a different, uh, more of a role player type secondary. Like there really – there's been a lot I – I would have to imagine if people are telling me this, he's heard something to that effect as well. Like there seems to be a big concerted conversation about – how to more optimize him as a uh, 30 something year old, I'm blanking on his age, apologies, six foot four athlete who still has that in his bag, right? Like he's still an elite competitor, an elite athlete at this stage of his career. So, how can the Lakers maximize that? While also, it sounds like him not leaving the starting lineup. Like that was obviously a point of contention all throughout last year it still sounds like that's going to be something that is non-negotiable for Russell Westbrook at this point in time. So, um, yeah, I think they're all singing a good tune and Darvin Ham is talking about how to make this work because, and we will get into the specifics about why the trades aren't necessarily materializing, um, but it doesn't seem
2: like they are.
1: Yeah. I, and, you know, I, I will say, and I've been very critical of this front office. I think that last year while Frank Vogel is the one that got fired, I think that, it was a front office failure through and through, from top to bottom. I think, first of all, the Russell Westbrook trade in itself. Um, people make it personal. It's not like I, 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 really, honestly do appreciate Russell Westbrook and his career, what he's accomplished. I loved his like, I love his tenacity and his his approach to basketball is something I've always admired. The problem with Russell Westbrook, the trade was, was that LeBron James and Anthony Davis as a duo. Were are one of the more versatile duos we've seen at that level of basketball where they could play just any style you needed them to play. They could play in a big lineup. They could play in a small lineup. They can play in a fast lineup. They can slow it down in the half court. They can play defense in multiple different ways. And what Russell Westbrook at this stage of his career, um, you lose that flexibility. And there's really only one way to play, uh, you know, that's to go small, spread it out, play fast. And, the problem with that is the front office didn't follow that up with a roster suited to that. And they gave that roster and they gave, you know, a, a Russell Westbrook to a coach like Frank Vogel, who that was never going to work. So it was just a, it, it was a front office failure first and foremost to me. So coming into this off season, despite my frustration that, you know, I was hopeful that a Russell Westbrook trade would materialize. And I'm continue, I I, I'm interested to hear where, things stand uh right now and i'm sure we'll get into that but i will give the front office credit here um i think first of all they hired the best coach available in the market i i i was hoping that they did hire darvin ham we needed some guy who's you know that young energy we we need we needed like a locker room sort of exorcism i think darvin ham is a good way to start that um i i'm a big fan of the patrick beverly edition i think again just in a locker room, just kind of shaking up the vibes from last season were so important. I think the players that they added fit much better with this roster, with this style of play. Um, you know, obviously we're not talking all-stars, right? JTA and, uh, you know, Thomas Bryant and and all, all these guys, Lonnie Walker, like, you know, these aren't all-stars, but at least they fit better than the pieces last year. Uh, there's a more cohesive basketball sort of ethos emerging amongst this team. And from day one of Darvin Ham's uh, press conference till now, they have been very good with their messaging. I think they, the, you know, this is my suspicion, but they have been honest with themselves about how a Russell Westbrook trade may or may not materialize. It, it, it fan, The fan base, I think, came into the offseason just assuming there would be some deal that would be done for Russell Westbrook. And I think inside uh, the front office, they telegraphed to darpenham I'm sure during this process of like, hey man, we don't know if this is going to happen or not, so we got to play it like you know we got to we got to do the messaging right. And I think they've done that. I think they've been positive. And your your feet, your 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 thoughts about or and what you've heard about the role they envision for Russell Westbrook. The frustrating thing is, is Russell Westbrook has all the physical tools. And he has the basketball skill, IQ, knowledge, etc. to perfectly play that Bruce Brown type role, that Draymond Green type role. Um, but at this stage in his career, I am wary to count on somebody changing that much. If we can just get some elements of Bruce Brown into Russell Westbrook's game this year, I think it'll just look more competent on the court.
0: Um, a couple of random straight thoughts uh that right there is why I was personally pretty impressed by what Carmelo did in Portland and then LA. And it's why I'm kind of surprised he's still out there as a free agent and why I fully do expect him to get another opportunity sometime between now and whenever transaction cycle starts I, I, I down. completely
1: agree. Completely agree. And Carmelo Anthony was maybe the lone bright spot of last season. I really appreciate it. Hey, Malik Monk's song. very
0: offended right now.
1: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Sorry. Malik.
0: I remember... So, um, this is another side tangent. The, so, I like I love Yovon Buha, great athletic, beat writer for the Lakers. He put out a story at some point, right, early in free agency. Um, but Malik Bunk said to him, uh, he was willing to take less than the mid-level, the full mid-level, to go back to the Lakers. He didn't want to leave. And earlier that day, I got all this information, like, the Lakers are worried they're not going to be able to keep him. And... Then I found out it's Sack. And I don't know why Malik Bunk said that to a reporter with the record with a recorder in front of him. <laughs> like he just straight up lied. <laughs> That's, <the game. laughs> That's what it is. I just thought that was very silly. Um, another thing, too, about the Lonnie Walker point, I took a bunch of coaches and execs and agent type people out to dinner. It was a 12 person. We had a Lazy Susan thing in the back of this. Uh, really nice Chinese restaurant somewhere along the strip um, in Vegas this summer. And somehow that became like the most heated talking point of the dinner was who would you have rather have given the, the mid-level to than Lonnie Walker through the Lakers? Because one guy was like pounding the table that Lonnie was high upside. Like how, could, like how many former lottery picks are really available um, at that number at this age for a team that doesn't have many young talented players on it. My argument was Dante Divincenzo. I would have, I would have rather have thrown that uh, that that salary slot at him. I don't know what what was the Lakers fan base, uh, and then after this, I, I promise we'll get to all the, the trade stuff I've gotten. Um, what was kind of your and what was your sense on the Lakers fan base reaction to when you found out the big mid level move was
1: was Lonnie Walker? I think that the mid level. I think, uh, you know, us Laker fans, we are. Uh, you know definitely spoiled. Um I think that when we when we knew we had the mid-level slot we were definitely aiming higher. Um but that being said, I think that again just given how bad last year was, a player like Lonnie Walker, you can see where the Lakers were coming from on that. I I I whether or not I agree with the fact that he got a mid-level or you know what what he should have gotten, the fact that he will still fit better on this roster than a lot of other options. And even like Malik Monk, I really appreciated Malik Monk last year. And I absolutely, he was another plus point of last season, but I also understand why the Lakers had to move on from him, not only about the money, but we just, the Lakers can't afford to have more slots for players that can't play in the playoffs whatsoever because of defensive deficiencies. And so there's upside there with Lonnie Walker. Um, I'm I'm a huge Dante fan, so I do agree with you there. I, obviously, it just comes back to, can he be healthy? And that's been the problem in his career, where Lonnie Walker is at least more steady in that front, and the Lakers just need healthy bodies.
0: Okay, so to the stuff people want to aggregate. Um, <laughs> there's been three things that I've heard throughout all of my note gathering that have been consistent across the board about what the Lakers... Um, Goals are here in terms of possibly moving off of Russell Westbrook. The first being that, and it's, 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 this has been definitely uh, communicated elsewhere, but the Lakers have been very resistant, as we know, in putting out a, that 2029 pick, a second pick into any deal um, that they don't think makes them a contender. And honestly, I haven't heard of a single scenario where they really have put that, that second pick on the table. Um, and, um, the, the so it's the one, they won't put the first two. They would only put the, they'll, they'll only put the first, only put the second, if it's a, a real contending thing. And three, they do not want to take back future salad. Like we talked about earlier, that's been super, 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 um, high on, on, uh, the, I don't know, the checklist of what the Lakers are working with here for, from everything I've heard. I think that's a big reason why Patrick Beverly was such a target of theirs all along after the Kyrie thing didn't work out, because he, had, he does only have one year remaining um, on his deal. So those might not sound like the strictest parameters for a negotiation, but they kind of are, being that the teams that have really been mentioned all along, and I, I don't have any new teams to bring, but we've got Utah, pretty consistently mentioned as the most likely, but again, nothing really seems all that likely right now because the Lakers, from my understanding, I mean, most teams who are still talking to teams about a certain thing have been just like Utah and New York was like, they've been kicking around the same iterations of a general construct for two months now. And just a matter of what side is going to blink ultimately whatever you want to look at it with the Knicks in Utah, whether the Knicks blinked or Utah blinked, what have you, like Utah went and got the deal go done with Cleveland. The R.J. Barrett deadline was a little thing that sparked a big fire. Like, until there's something that makes the Lakers have to blink, it don't, doesn't sound like they're going to be blinking here. Like, they're going to hold their line in the sand because of all those teams that we just mentioned, it doesn't really seem like there's an actual package that's there that the Lakers would be willing to put a second pick on the table for someone today mentioned to me, well, why doesn't Charlotte get back into the fold there? I mean, that was a popular idea back in the springtime, if I remember correctly. And I I do know there is definitely some mutual interest there and the whole Russell uh, Jordan brand ties and all that. But if we go back to, um, if we go back to the one important checklist item of of no future salary, I mean, the only real way to get a deal that moves the Lakers' ceiling to contending, which is what's going to need that second pick done, right? Then you're going to have to either have Gordon Hayward or Terry Rozier come back in terms of salary matching purposes. And those guys both have multiple years left on their deals. You go to San Antonio, you can make something work with McDermott, hurdle josh richardson um mcdermott's got another year salary left at 13 million that's a pretty movable contract again if you don't want to keep him but also like shoot into something obviously this team needs desperately but like that deal from everything i've heard the last couple of days this doesn't seem like it's much of an appetite for that on the Lakers side of things being like to get to actually pay up that second pick And just like with Yaka Pirtles on expiring deal, same thing with Indy with miles Turner. Like those two guys are going to be interesting trade trips across the board for the whole league this year, being that they are pretty coveted players, but their teams value them very highly on the trade market. And they're both going to be seeking pretty legitimate money on the, on the free agent market next year. They're both extension eligible. Now I doubt either one really comes to one. I mean, I, I really don't think that would happen. Um, but you know, crazier things have been done. We all thought Donald was going to New York, but you're gonna if you're trading for a Yaka Pertl or a Miles Turner, especially for the Lakers with this big goal of, of of maintaining your opportunity to be a huge player in free agency next year, then you got to think about what those guys are going to want. So it, it really does bring us back to Utah, where again, it does not seem likely that a Russell Westbrook trade is going to happen. That is to me the biggest reason why we've heard Genie Bus and Darvin Han and Rod Palenka and so so many of these important actors in the franchise talking about incorporating Russ back and finding success with Russ this season because that is just the overwhelming likelihood of the reality. That being said, from my understanding, Utah would be open to a various amount of structures, of, of salaries that, that meet Russell Westbrook's salary coming back So long as they get those two picks again, haven't heard the Lakers have been willing to put those two picks on the board. I have heard, I don't know if this has been offered, um, but there's at least been some type of flirtation or an internal meeting uh, on the Lakers side of putting a pick swap into the deal as well. So that's a little bit more than a first. doesn't sound like it's enough though from Utah side of things. Um, but it does seem like the Jazz would be willing to do a Bogdanovich and Conley or whatever other. You know, whether it's, it's Malik Beasley. And I mean, the, the stuff with Conley's contract is tough because he's got 14 million guaranteed next year. Um, but I don't know. Is, is there a package in there, Domin from Utah, that you think would make it worth getting, giving up those two first round picks for?
1: I don't, uh, and I think this is the sort of. So I, I, I have a slight agreement and a slight disagreement with the Lakers' approach right now and where where they've positioned themselves. I do agree with them that throwing in two first rounders should only happen if they are going to be vaulted into being a clear contender or at least a fringe contender. And I just don't see the Utah package emerging uh, as a clear cut. I mean, listen. The Russell Westbrook experience was bad last year, but he played, I think, 80 games. Uh, Mike Conley, you are not getting 80 games out of Mike Conley. And the level at which Mike Conley is, like, I'm a big fan of Mike Conley, but at his age and at his level right now, um, I, you know, that does not, that does not entice me very much. Obviously, Bogdanovich would be the big piece there, and I'm happily, you know, a first and Maybe even some seconds or something like there, there could be a framework there in, in that deal, but the two first, the only thing that has ever made sense to me for that was the you know from the what feels like like literally a year ago was when the trade deadline kind of started or the off season started and there was the Kyrie Irving rumors, mm-hmm. um, I think. But beyond that, I just I, I do agree with their approach in terms of the draft picks. What I don't agree with them on is I think that there were opportunities or perhaps uh, there still are opportunities to take on longer term money, but for valuable players. Like I don't view somebody like, um, I guess a problem with Miles Turner and all this, like they're coming to free agency soon. So you have to start worrying about, like like you mentioned, their extensions and stuff like that. But if a player has a salary that's, you know, 10, 12, 13 million dollars and it extends beyond next season, I think if the season goes to plan and the season is success, all those salaries are movable because, you know, you you it, for the same reason that Russell Westbrook became such a toxic asset because of how bad last year went, you can turn players and you can turn a good season into making those contracts more valuable and more tradable. So I do think that they should, I would hope that they're more open to that uh, Um because playing the free agency game and playing the, playing the salary cap game, I feel like, is, a, is getting to be an outdated fashion. Where, if, where it seems like the norm is now, just looking at all the trades that have happened over the last couple of years that involve big stars, is that the stars sign their contracts with their teams, knowing full well that if they need to get traded or they want to get traded or the situation aligns itself in such a way, that trades can be put together at any time. So, in fact, having salary on the books that is tradable um, becomes more of an asset than cap space. And so I, that's my critique of their approach. But their draft pick approach, I think, has been correct from the jump. And I think, again, I don't want to, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of this front office. This front office has a lot to prove <laughs> to me after last year. made that very season. clear. Uh, but I, I would their draft pick approach has been correct because it's not only the trade it's the, it, the two picks and all that it's the opportunity cost of future trades that you are foregoing because you don't have that second asset. So I, I think, I think their approach has been correct.
0: Yeah. The other thing that complicates the Utah stuff and why I, I part of why I, I believe, and I've, well, I believe what I've been told too, um, because a lot of times you hear some stuff and you're like, all right, that's, that doesn't, I think that's a lie. Or I don't, I don't think you're, I don't think you're the person that is saying that is seeing the full picture. Because some, you know, if there's four seats at a table, sometimes this, a lot of the people at that table think their, their view is the right view, right? Um, if Utah moves Bogdanovich to another team, I personally can't see a deal for the Lakers, a return from Utah that makes it worth that second pick that Utah would need. So that's that would be like kind of to me, I would view that as almost like the death knell of um, of any real Russell Westbrook trade happening before the season starts. Because there is a market for Bogdanovich. I haven't been able to pin down real suitors for any of the other uh, Jazz players. I mean, Mike Conley definitely had it interested suitor in the Clippers before they were able to get John Wall. Um, But outside of that, I mean, like, I I know someone floated Dallas as a potential for calling. Like, I I really don't see that. Um, But I I think there will be a competitive marker for Bogdanovich. And I think think just like with Royce O'Neal, if a team ends up putting a legitimate first-round pick on the table um, and some other stuff that's interesting, um, you know, in in the salary matching, like, I do think Bogdanovich is going to get moved probably before the season starts. Um, that's what a GM I texted with today. Um, that was the timeline he, he gave me a, a, on his uh, read of it. And, I mean, Toronto's been pretty consistently mentioned there. The Pelicans I've now heard as well are a team that's in on him. Um, Phoenix, all in addition to the Lakers. I, 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 there's there's got to be more too. But those are the four teams I've heard from multiple people um, that, you know, I, I definitely know it to be interested and I think you know, clouds the potential of that deal getting done from the Lakers side of things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting standpoint to be in that's pretty much the end of my notes here. If you got anything else before we take it to, to questions, Dom, and uh, I'm, I'm going to pitch it back your way.
1: Um, yeah. I just, I, I think at this stage just listening to you and kind of reading the tea leaves, uh, I, I think, after the Donovan Mitchell transaction kind of went, uh, I, I just have come to accept, and I do think that the franchise has come to accept that Russell Westbrook will be on the roster this season. Um, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that I think coming into this season, I don't view a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis as a contender. Um, that's just unfortunately where we stand right now. I think the best thing that can happen now, though, is the Lakers just need, and I, I do think this is where they are, They're, they need to come together. Last year was a disaster, top to bottom. They need to start coming together. They need to generate momentum. That momentum and those wins potentially will generate more options. Um, and I think that's the only way moving forward for this team. They just have, they have to go from incompetence to competence, and then everything else will go from there. Um, so to be determined, I, I, think, I think is where we stand.
0: There you go. Okay. Our first
3: caller, DJ, what's going on? Jake, what's up, brother? Uh, happy Friday and happy weekend. And, uh, Damon, uh, great um, insight on the Lakers, man. I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so just a couple things. So, first, um, yeah, the front office is horrible, and hopefully they can <laughs> uh, get together. I'm kind of on Damon's page. This whole offseason has been like a big tease. We haven't been this teased since, you know, 2019 with Kawhi, right, us waiting around for Kawhi, him not coming through. But then at least we got AD and won the championship next year, so that kind of paid off. But um, for these Lakers, right, so it seems kind of obvious that they should move Russ to the bench, right, as a sixth man and start maybe Reeves and Beverly. What is the appetite for the Lakers to do do that? I know it would be some hesitancy because of, like, Russ wouldn't want to do that probably. But at the end of the day, who really cares? He's, you know, an expired contract. And if he throws a fit, uh, we could John Wall him and just send him home. (laughs) Um, And and then the second part of that is – I'm actually glad now that Kyrie's off the board and everything else that we're actually keeping these picks and keeping Russ in case, you know, at the deadline, something opens up like nobody thought Harden was going to leave Brooklyn last year. Something might happen where, you know, the Bulls might be bad and Levine becomes available or the Wizards might underachieve and Beal becomes available so we can hold those draft picks and hold that slot for a big name person. Uh, we'll have two draft picks and two swaps just to trade as well. So we could probably get a really big name. Um, and if not, then we just ride the season out and see how it goes.
0: Yeah, I don't know about any of that, DJ, unfortunately, man. Um, not the burst bubble. I just – I mean, Donald Mitchell just went for three unprotected first-round picks and two pick swaps. So the lake plus, you know, Colin Sexton, who's someone that the Jazz really like, a recent – a very recent this-June lottery pick, Abaji um, uh, and Larry Markin, like the Lakers really only have Russell Westbrook and those two picks to send out. I just – I can't imagine any scenario where the quote-unquote next disgruntled star that hits the market, the Lakers are going to have a competitive offer to get that guy. I just I – and mean, call me a pessimist, but I, I just – I don't
1: see it. I, I really don't, unfortunately. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll, just to add to that, I, I do think, so on on the point of Russ um, being a bench player or a sixth man, uh, it's funny, I was having this conversation just today, I think that you have to give this group or this kind of season a proper shot, and I think s- starting the season and asking Russ to be a sixth man is going to be is going to really start the season off on a bad foot. Like, you, you have to just kind of accept what it, it, Russ for who he is at some level. Yes, you and but you have to give him the shot to prove that he can remain the starter. Like, the, the default should be, okay, you're a starter. But, and Darvin Ham has been consistent about this, and this is what he's done right. He's said that Russ has to play defense, and Russ has to play off ball, and Russ has to have a different role. He is setting the standard for Russ. Russ has to get the chance, a proper fair chance, given his stature and given, you know, his, his, you know, all superstars have egos. Give his ego a chance to say, okay, this is what the coach has asked for me. If I, if he doesn't do that, Darwin can say, look, this is what I've asked from you. This is the tape. You're not doing it. So now we're going to ask you to be on the bench. That's going to be the way I think you go about that conversation. Um, Is it feasible? I don't think so. I think that Russ would rather not be on the team in that case. But then at least you gave it a fair shot to start the season. I wanted to actually jump on one point uh, from earlier that I kind of uh, I, I wanted to bring up earlier. Yeah, I think that in all these conversations, we have forgotten the fact that Anthony Davis, part of the reason Anthony Davis was brought to LA was to be the daily driver engine for the regular season so it gives lebron james sort of a opportunity to be in second and third gear until the playoffs and let him ramp up anthony davis last year the year before he was hurt okay you get that like last year though he came in and it, it just the mentality from a mentality point of view from a physicality standpoint he was not ready again and I think that we have come to a place where we're not, where our expectations are pretty low of Anthony Davis when they shouldn't be. The table is set. Darvin Ham is here. For, he's coming from Milwaukee, who he coached Giannis. Um, the table is set for Anthony Davis to have like a truly breakout MVP level season. And that's what he was here to do. And if he's not able to do that, Jake, to your point earlier, when we first started the call, in terms of evaluating the long-term trajectory of this franchise, they have to really start looking at Anthony Davis and wondering if, if, if after LeBron, if Anthony Davis can't shoulder the shoulder the burden, well, is Anthony Davis also a consideration of that? You know, they're going to have to consider moving him as well. But I think this season, more than anything else, you know, Russell Westbrook gets all of the uh, sort of shoulders all the blame. But it's time for a player of Anthony Davis's stature and age, and he's in his prime, uh, to kind of take the regular season by the reins. And if he does that, all of a sudden, this entire season looks different.
0: A lot of pressure on Anthony Davis's broad uh, shoulders that grew exponentially throughout his NBA career. Okay. Um, Kobe, we are moving on to you, sir.
2: What's going on? Jake.
3: Hey, Jake and
2: Dave. Hey, Adam. So Jake, I have a question, you know, to kind of circle back to what Damon was saying about how it makes no sense that we're not taking on long-term salary because you can use those mid-tier contracts to kind of get better players. Is there talk around the league that that aversion for long-term salary is just really code for we don't want to pay the repeater tax? Because I know a lot of Lakers fans that I talk to we're very skeptical of Jeannie and her willingness to spend, especially in the tax. And if we have, they keep saying cap space, cap space, cap space, but Kyrie is not gonna, we can only have about 30 million. So it makes me think it's really the cap space is mainly because it'll help us duck the repeater tax. Have you heard people in the league say that that's our ultimate motivation rather than the actual take-on long-term salary for cap space purposes?
0: No, I mean, it's it's a fair cynicism to, to at least suggest and ask. I, I, I see that thinking, but no, I, I do believe this is about trying to be – um trying to be like a coiled spring ready to pounce when free agency hits that i don't think they're trying to a- avoid a-, a bill here i think they really think that there's a strong opportunity to get someone like Kyrie irving next summer um and i know uh my esteemed guest here was was questioning the legitimacy of that and how you know it might be more valuable to have salary to trade rather than to have open cap space um but that is one thing I learned in my book reporting. And it's one thing that was very uh, clear throughout just the last couple of years once the Lakers had LeBron. I mean, all that shit that Jim Buss and Mitch Kubchak basically took for years of getting into the room with Carmelo um, and not really getting a, a meeting with LeBron again and all that type of stuff back in 2014 – Oh, I get... Sorry, I just got a call. I think, they, I think they did get a meeting, if, I, if my memory serves correctly, in 2014. But not really being a serious player for a while and being the losingest team in the NBA for five years. Like the Lakers have a much wider margin for error than any other team, being that they are the Lakers. And when they do have cap space and a pretty legitimate opportunity for stars to go, I mean, I think they're going to be in the conversation. Like Kawhi – very much did consider choosing out the Lakers over the Clippers. And if he did that, there would no be Paul. There be, there'd be no Paul George tandem. Paul George and Russell Westbrook might still be an OKC for all we know. So they're going to be considered and they're going to have a shot because of the Lakers, especially now after LeBron. Like, I don't think this is hyperbolic to say. Like, LeBron blessed the Lakers franchise again in 2018. Like, those were some dark days um, after Kobe's – first injury and you know, after Kobe retired and, and waiting for that big star to come back or to draft that star, what have you. And LeBron kind of made all those fears amongst a lot of the people in that franchise whose you know reputations are on the line, kind of dissipated those fears and being that if we're ever really, really, really in trouble, you know, someone will eventually choose us.
2: And I, I think they really do believe that someone is going to next year. But you think that Kyrie would take 30 million? You think he would take less? Like, I think he can get, like, 40 something. You think he would take 30 million? That's all we'll have to offer. I'll
0: tell you, I would never guess a year in advance what someone would do. Especially someone okay. who, who's been proven to, to change his mind. Um, okay.
2: Thank you. I
1: was about to say, yeah, I, uh, count, <laughs> counting on Kyrie, like, for, for a decision a week from now is, is dicey enough. Uh, yeah, hard to project.
0: <laughs> I mean, look, even in the early, you know, rumblings of pre-free agency last year, there were a lot of people around the situation who absolutely believed that DeMar DeRozan would be willing to take a pay cut to come play with for the Lakers. And then he turned around nope. and signed a $30 million deal with the Bulls. So um, even stuff like that, you know, I just, I, until, until we're at the altar, I'm never going to say that someone's going to say yes. So um, CJ, what do we got?
4: Yeah, hey J.K. Hey Damon, thanks so much for for letting me jump in here. Appreciate the conversation; it's been great. Um, Thank you, man. So Thank you that. Yeah, no worries. Um, so I'm a jazz fan, so I'm looking at this Lakers situation from obviously a little bit of a, a different point of view. You know, don't really don't really care much about the Lakers' success um, from my side. But um, the way the way that I guess I've I look at this, um, you know, it's been an interesting summer. Obviously, the Jazz are completely blown it up. Um, which I did not expect to happen, you know, completely blow it up. Maybe some tweaks, but not like they've done. But, you know, when it comes to um, the trading for Russell Westbrook, obviously, you know, the expectation would be he's never going to play a game in Utah if that were to ever even happen. You know, they buy him out and he'd, you know, choose from there where he wants to go. Um, but I think the the thing for me that I'm a little confused about, and again, this might just mean my, you know, my bias and my ignorance as a Jazz fan is, you know, in my eyes, the way that I would look at this trade is the fact that we're taking on, you know, a $47 million contract that we're just going to turn around and buy out is worth a draft pick, you know, a first-round pick, which obviously that's, from my understanding, of kind of what you guys have stated, the point, kind of the line the Lakers are drawing is that one pick. However, if we're throwing in, you know, Bojan Bogdanovic, for example, to me, and, you know, I've I've heard very... Various opinions on this from a lot of different people. To me, he he on his own is worth a first round pick. Yeah, um, you know, he's a forty percent three point shooter. You know, a guy that can create his own shot, space the floor. He's not a great defender, but when you know we saw in the playoffs when he puts an effort on the defensive end, he absolutely can defend at a high level. Um, and you know, also if you were to throw in you know Conley and or Beasley or you know Clarkson, whoever it may be. Uh, alongside that, I mean, to me, that's worth a second, first round pick. So I guess what my question is, from a Jazz point of view, there's really no shot because of you know where the Lakers are drawing the line in the sand. Even though those are you know players that can come come in and contribute immediately and expiring contracts, you know for the most part anyway. Conley, like you said, has the you know second year that's partially guaranteed, but
0: mm-hmm. you know
4: Beasley's have, Beasley's a team option that they could decline if they wanted to bogeys on the last year of his deal you're basically saying even if we were to throw bogey and other people there's really no shot of us getting that second pick you know the 27 and the 29 first rounders
0: doesn't seem like it it really doesn't and and to your point yeah i that's why i don't think it gets done and i i've definitely heard their cost for bogdanovich is a first so um you're right they're gonna need a lot more than just one pick to both get rid of him and other salary and take on Russ. So it is an up,
1: it yeah, is and, a mountain and, to climb. And, and, and just to jump in on that uh, and CJ, you, you, you know, uh, you're a jazz fan, but it's okay. Your, your, your analysis was, was not that biased. Believe me. I think that's, <laughs> I think you made, you, you made, you made, you made really fair points. Okay. Good I, I would say that I, I, I would say the Mike Conley guarantee the second year is like 13 or 14 billion. I believe yep. um, that's pretty sizable. I think that, that, Ultimately, that is where uh, I would push back from a Lakers perspective where it's like, at least with Russ, the pain is going to be over, you know, just uh, next year. Um, But your analysis, I think, is exactly why this deal is not going to get done. I think the Lakers are looking at it from a point of view of, it's not that this deal, like maybe in a vacuum, we can say, okay, you know, I understand the logic behind giving two firsts for this transaction. I think the Lakers point of view is... If we're not going to be a contender, then why would we even bother doing that? Like, I think that that is ultimately why I don't think this deal gets done, where Utah has credible reason to say, hey, this is worth two firsts. And the Lakers on the other other side might just say, yeah, it might be worth two firsts in a vacuum, but it's all kind of the assets that the Lakers have to offer. And if it's not vaulting us into contender status, then we'll just have to write it out. And so I think... Most of the reason why deals don't get done is the the value. It's not a disagreement about the value. It's just that they can't come together. Their incentives aren't aligned. So I think in this case, the incentives aren't quite aligned because I don't think that Conley and Bogdanovich, I like both players, are not elevating the Lakers to contention status. I personally, just to compare it to another package, um, the Indiana package of Miles Turner and Buddy Hield, to me, just because of the roster fit and the way they, they skill set-wise fit with the Lakers, I will be more inclined to throw a second uh, first-rounder for that pick. Not because of you, you, we can compare Conley versus Bogdanovich and Turner versus Heald, and we can you know debate about which is actually a better package and better salaries and all that. But the Indiana trade is a more logical fit to turning the team into a contender versus just maybe improving the team marginally. And I think that is sort of where the disconnect is. There you go. All right.
0: We're going to go to Caleb and then Parker. And that'll be it for our calls. Thanks to everyone so far. Caleb, how are you doing?
2: Hey, guys. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, I don't know if you guys had a chance to catch the Zach Lowe podcast today that he did with Ramona, but – um, they were both saying that they had been hearing a lot of good things coming from the Lakers about Kendrick Nunn and that they were expecting some good things from him. Um, I was wondering if uh, Jake, you'd heard anything about that um, and, and what kind of role they're expecting him to play and where his recovery is at. I
0: mean, they're certainly open. <laughs> um, I, I don't have anything substantive on where he stands, like how his health is. Will he be ready? I think, They're still kind of, I don't think they're putting any timeline or expectation on it because, I mean, every that was kind of a gut punch all along last year, right? Whenever there was like an expectation he could be reevaluated here and like whatever, it didn't work out. So, I mean, that's part of why they don't have much more to trade outside of Russ being that he's one of the salaries that's not a minimum salary that, you know, no one knows what Kendrick Nunn is right now because he hasn't played in over a year. So they're hopeful. They're definitely excited about what he could potentially add, but also, you know, the, the best theoretical additions to this team that um, are not, uh, you know, Jay Huff like are Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn like they they play the same position. It's the same position that Russell Westbrook is at. He's not exactly going to be. The, the three and D wing player. I mean, Lonnie Walker, I guess I, I should have given more credit to as a bigger addition, but there, he's not the ideal X-factor piece. Like right now, Cleveland, for example, is looking for a wing player. If they had a wing player come into the fold, that would be a huge addition to what their their lineup is lacking. The Lakers are kind of in the same boat. Like as great as kind of none could be this year, he's going to be another small guard that has questionable – defensive abilities and I don't know how much he's going to actually raise their ceiling outside of just being a competent um, NBA rotation caliber player, which they do need those guys. So I don't know. That's kind of the end of my, my spiel. What do you got, sir?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think, I, I do think that at this stage, um, any value addition that the Lakers can do to any of these pieces I think that they will be pretty active in the trade market because the roster is pretty imbalanced right now in terms of it is very guard-heavy. So if a player like Nunn comes out of the gate hot, well, either you can trade Nunn or the pieces that you signed that are perhaps not getting the minutes early in the season can be explored to trade up and maybe you get more of a wing-type player. Maybe you're not going to get a high-level wing, but you can approach more of roster balance that way. So uh yeah, I'm fingers crossed on none. Obviously last year was just a such a strange season uh from a health point of view. Um but I think that the benefit to the Lakers would be in that case, um if if they can generate positive trade value for any of their assets, uh it it, it that could then be converted into a better fit big picture for the for the long run.
0: All right. Um, let's go our last question, Parker, and then we'll get Dominic out of here. Parker, how you doing? Oh, Parker got out of the, oh Parker's back. Parker. Parker, do we have you?
4: Sorry. Yeah, sorry, no. my bad, Jake Paul's All well. Good, no worries, man. Yeah, so I saw a report earlier this week. I think it was uh Brett Seigel from Sports Illustrated said that Clarkson was generating interest from uh, the Grizzlies, the Bucks, the Kings, and the Raptors. Just with the Grizzlies I'm bringing up Laker great Danny Green, is that ten million dollars from Green, Danny Green that much of a trade chip, especially for a guy like Clarkson? Is there kind of a trading partner there with Utah and Memphis?
0: I don't know how much Danny Green has value right now, um, to answer that part of it. I mean, from everything I've heard about Danny, like he's excited about Memphis, He's excited to be a veteran leader there, and like is saying he's gonna be back by the all star break. So I don't know if Memphis is like fully counting on it, but I do think Memphis is looking at Danny Green as a as a piece for them this year. I don't think they necessarily trying to flip him immediately, but if like that is something that would get them a player right now, like Clarkson, if that's what would get it done. I think, I think they'd have to have that appetite, but I have not heard that Memphis is motivated to move them at all. Um, that that could be the case, but that's not, that's not what I've been told.
3: Awesome. Yeah.
4: Sounds good. That that That's all I had. Thank you.
0: Cool. Thank you, man. Donovan, before I let you go. Anything, I mean, thank you so much for the time. This was great, man. I really appreciate you hopping on board here and helping me, me, me sift through the Lakers stuff. Um, anything that you want to plug, anything you want to ask me, this, the stage is yours, whatever you got.
1: <laughs> no, no, this was a ton of fun. Uh, I, I appreciate everybody who hopped on uh, to call and everybody who's listened. Um, just follow me on Twitter. There you go. All right, we'll be back sometime next week. And
0: I am working on another Lakers guest, hopefully for next Friday. Um, I'm excited to see if it works out. But I'm not getting my hopes up too, too high. But I'll keep you guys posted. Um, either way, we should be back with two episodes. And we'll kind of see how the news cycle goes And before we plan it out. But thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you have a good weekend. And uh, stay safe. Take care.